there is a cost. I think people don't realize it. And I think it's not talked about enough yeah. that yeah. Um, there is no true balance. There's no true balance. If you want to pursue your dream, you typically have to be wholeheartedly selfish about that pursuit. And it's going to, co- it's going to cost you something. It just, it, it, it just, we just don't know what that cost is. It could be your health. It could be your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your partner. Um, it could be like, it's going to cost. Nothing comes for free. There was always a price. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Mr. Andrew Osayemi, who is a man of many talents, ex-city <laughs> trader, show creator, author, which we're going to jump into and recruitment specialist, like a very, very diverse individual who you're going to learn his story today and you're going to be inspired by his story today. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm, I'm, I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Well, it's an absolute, absolute pleasure. I've been following like your, your story. I've watched some of the shows and you are definitely one of the the trailblazers, actually. When I spoke to uh, my friend earlier today, he's like, you guys are one of the pioneers that mastered going outside of the UK to market yourselves before you came back came back in, which is absolutely um, amazing, which we're going to um, share some more. But where I really want to start today was around what you do, what you, you speak about a lot right now, which is around um, recruitment. And you do some work with um, Rare Recruitment, where you're very, very passionate about helping um, people from social economic backgrounds get into like internships and graduate jobs, and you've helped thousands and thousands of people. And at a time where a lot of people are, I guess, displaced is the right word to use, with the pandemic, either those who are young coming out of college, those who are coming out of university, those who have lost their jobs due to the pandemic, I think it's very good to hear from you what the right skill sets that you think one organizations are looking for, but also around the mindset that you think people need to have to be able to actually mm-hmm. transform their their misfortunes as they might see it at the moment. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And yeah, like what I my passion, my absolute passion is on helping people from a lower economic background, uh, like, you know, achieve the best they can. You know, the the key thing is, you know, not everyone's gonna get a top corporate job. Not everyone's gonna get um, you know, like, you know, make millions and millions of pounds. But as long as you can almost out, out outperform the 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 trajectory of what your life was currently going on, you've done well. You know what I mean? So even if like you know you get any any job, whatever it is, you know, any type of success, my passion is like helping like some of these young students achieve that. And you talk about mindset. Um, it's all about it's all about, first of all, believing. First of all, it's about believing. Um, I think so many times, like we, like, you know, we, there's so many excuses, so many excuses. Um, someone may say, you know, racism. Someone may say discrimination. Someone may say, you know, where I was born, the environment I was grew up, grew up in. 
you know, that stuff you can't sometimes change. Sometimes I think sometimes our mindset is in the wrong place. We think we find we spend so much time and this is mainly for if, the students, you know, so much time on, but, you know, what's the negative barriers to me making it rather than having a positive mindset of, you know, what, regardless of what barriers there are, I'm gonna, still going to make it anyway. Speaking of, um, of barriers, you grew up in, in Peckham and you think your, your mum was managed to get your space into um, a private school. What was that shift that you had to make from yourself to mm. move from that environment into that private school um, setting? And how did you deal in coping with, I'm guessing, a space where you were not, you stood out? You know, in all honesty, you stood out because of your background, stood out because of your race. How did you deal and how did you learn how to be resilient and adapt and keep on improving in that environment? Yeah, no, really good question. And, um, you know, I'm not going to lie, it was, it, was, it was really tough. It was really tough, you know, so like taking a step back, you know, like I'm, I'm around eight years old and um, I'm literally in, like you said, in one of the worst schools in London, um, you know, everyone's dream is either to be the next like Rio Ferdinand, make it in football or like avoid jail or, or some type of thing like that. You know what I mean? Make money somehow, um, legally or illegally, whatever. People's dream was like, you know, make money somehow, but not like no one was really looking at the corporate route, to be honest. Um, and I remember my mum, she gets a call from school and uh, the teacher says, you know, uh, you know, Mrs. Osiemi, we want you to come in to school tomorrow. And you can imagine, you know, at, you know, um, old school African parent. She gets that phone call. Phone call. She's thinking, "My God, well, Andrew, what have you done again? Like, what what type of mischief?" So before I even got to school the next day, I'd already been disciplined. They didn't even know what it was about, but they they already. Wow. Me. <laughs> so I've been disciplined. I've been disciplined. So I'm I'm in the I'm in the school office. I sit down. The teacher comes in. Hey, Mrs. Osiemi, thank you for coming in. She's like, okay, what has he done? What has he done? And then I'm like, the teacher's like, well, we, we didn't bring him in because he was bad. We brought him in because he got one of the highest marks on the national maths test. And me and my mum are looking at each other. She's looking at me like, what? I didn't even know that you had this type of ability. I'm looking at her like, my God, like you like you beat me for no reason. Like, what's the matter? <laughs> but the next thing, what the teacher said, to, to my mum and to me indirectly was almost what changed my life. He said that, look, Andrew has potential. He just needs to figure out how to make it count. And that teacher uh, gave my mum the details of a social mobility scheme that would, if you qualify in terms of your family income is below a certain mark, you'll be able to get a full paid scholarship to go to a private school if you pass the grades. So. That was our next stream. So that was my mum's next stream. She was like, okay, my son's got potential. How can we get him in to get a scholarship? So from then, from the age of eight, I was like, you know, studying, 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 studying. Um, you know, even though it was like, you know, my friends come and knock for me on my door and say, you know, is Andrew in? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm at the window looking at them. They're like, my mum and dad's like, no, he's not in, that type of thing. Um, but I got into the, to, to the, to the private school, full paid scholarship. And to that, the transition was really difficult. And I think the similarities are similar to myself going into a private school, coming from a lower social economic background. It's also the same for young students now who are going into the corporate world, who are from a lower social economic background or who has no exposure to that environment. I remember like for me, it was like, I literally, the school literally had to pay for not just my, like my tuition, 
but even my transport to get to school it was that it was that deep in terms of like you know how below everyone else i was in terms of you know money and stuff like that summer holidays everyone's going on you know trips to like florida new york you know i'm just in my estate that's what i'm doing you know that's my holiday um but it took about a year i think it took about a year or two for me just to slowly assimilate myself into what was going on in the school i think what was really good was because coming from uh like growing up in an area like peckham you know we don't take like you know we don't we, we like fools are not suffered suffered lightly you know so mm-hmm. you grow up to stand up for yourself so you know uh, it was never going to be a case where like i'm going to be i was going to be bullied at school or anything like that it was just psychologically knowing that you know we're just from two different worlds um and how i learned to overcome that was to be proud of where i'm from and let people into into my world and that's how you know i was able to make friends and then you know slowly slowly get like get get used to the environment that is um those words you just said right now be proud of where you're from for me they really really stood out because there is something um i do a lot of work with especially a lot of young younger people there is this or when i get into that corporate space i need to hide my identity i need to hide who i am because like you said a lot of times they're talking about i'm going to this ski trip here chateau there all that kind of stuff you're like i can't resonate with that i can't relate to that and you kind of hide yourself and you don't open yourself up to other people and other experiences which you might think is a protection mechanism but actually it holds you back but by mm. you being like, actually, I'm, I can't hide where I'm from. I'm, I'm where I'm where I'm from is is who I am. But I'm going to lean more into that identity, but also learn to relate to other people, understand other people, so they can understand me better. So you have that vice versa kind of relationship. That is is so critical to actually growing and developing as a person. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like you know, and you know, this almost bodes well with what I like. My creative side is. I think you need to be a storyteller. You need to be a storyteller. You know. Um, but your story is what you need to be good at telling people about. You know, I remember I did an internship when I'm at university. I know I'm jumping all around. I remember I'm in, you know, first week I come in, it's on the trading floor in like Liverpool Street. You know, like, you know, everyone's just, I'm first of all, I'm walking in like, wow, everyone's super smart. Like, you know, I don't even deserve to be here. I just, I scraped through my first year of university. Um, I, everyone's got like, you know, first and stuff people went to oxford cambridge um i'm 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 like i'm not even supposed to be here so that's already one like like psychological barrier that i had right and then second i just felt like you know my story and again it's almost like every new environment i've gone into i've i've taken a step back you know it's almost like i should have learned from what when i started school but it's always taken me a while to get used to it and then within a week uh, one of the managers said to me, look, Andrew, look, if you don't start talking, you're not going to make it. We're not going to give you a graduate job. And I was like, you know, I am talking. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm com- like, you know, I'm, I'm sharing. I'm talking with people. It's like, no, 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 no one. You're asking people questions, but no one knows who you are. Who's the real Andrew? Um, and, and then he said one thing that was, he said, look, if people, if you don't, if you're not, if you're not willing to share, then no one can trust you. I was like, oh, okay. Then I started talking. I'm like, you know, I mean, and this is like, this is like in the, like 2004. So I'm like, you know, I'm into garage, I'm a DJ, I do this, I do that. And then I started realizing that other people like, you know, garage music on the desk, then we start having a conversation about who's the best MC and stuff like that. 
Um, talk, tell people I was into poker. There was one guy on the desk. He was an amateur poker player. I taught him how to play poker. Um, and he won loads of money. Then he became my biggest sponsor on the desk. So that's when I learned that, you know, like you have your own story. It's very unique. But like people from lower social economic backgrounds, people from, you know, we could black, uh, Asian men and minority backgrounds, typically, typically like we hide our story. So my advice to anyone listening is, yeah, just become an expert at telling your story. Man, that is, that's a great example of how that, that can actually make a difference and break down barriers. And I think it goes back into that being, being your authentic self. That we, we spend so much time talking about want to create culture of psychological safety, want to create environments where people can be themselves. But we need to be ourselves. We need to step up. Like you said, you need to own your story because if not, you will always have that wall. And with that, with that wall there, you can't build relationship. Without building relationship, you can't build trust, which is what kind of opens up even more doors and more opportunities to to people. And there's something I just wanted to touch on quickly. When you were younger growing up, and obviously you're still living in Peckham going to private school, what was the relationship like with your friends who were still in the end, who were not in that private school world? Did you still have relationships with them or was that a problem? How did they... Yeah, no, absolutely. I still had relationships. I still have, like, you know, some of my friends to this day are from, you know, where I grew up. You know, obviously not all of them, you know, you've You've, you've you've got to like move move as you go you know as you as you as you go higher, um, but you know what I would say a sense of pride, friends very proud of me, um, you know very supportive like you know I'm I'm almost one of the ones that made it out you know that's that's the kind of attitude that they had, um, I remember uh, like so the school I went to they played like they played sports on on the on the weekends. So you can imagine me, I'm wearing my school uniform on the weekend, like, you know, walking out of the estate and then people are just like, like, oh, dude, like, what the hell are you doing wearing that school uniform? It's Saturday. <laughs> that big bag, like that school bag, like what's going on, bruv? Like, you know, um, but it was just that sense of being proud, being proud. They were really proud, really supportive. And people, people see you, people see you, like, you know, when you're trying to make a difference, um, like when you like yeah so they were just proud and supportive you, like you mentioned you went you went into after you went to university you, you got into into trading and you were mm-hmm. there for um for about five years or so before the recession hit and and you and you, you got let go of but i was just curious was that a blessing in disguise for you do you know what and i'll, I'll even tell the story right so it's um it's a very interesting story, very interesting story. So I lasted through the subprime crisis, so I left. So, and this is the, what I'm, when I spoke, speak to kids and speak to students, like, oh, I told people, you can, you can, like, if I can make it, they can make it. Because I went from, like, you know, living in Peckham, and then my family, we moved to, like, South Norwood. So um, still in Southeast, but a bit more further out, more closer to Croydon. Um, and then got the job and then I'm working and then the opportunity comes to me and they're like, look, Andrew, the opportunity for you to go to New York. And I'm like, nah, come on. I'm from Southeast London. Like, you know, I'm born and raised. I'm never leaving. I'm staying in London. London is my hometown. And again, it was a sense of me being, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable, you know, I'm comfortable. And they came to me two or three times like, Andrew, look, like you're going to have like a penthouse apartment overlooking the east river in manhattan it's going to be fully paid for by the by the bank you can be out there for two years 
look, do not turn down this opportunity. And I kept saying, I don't know no one in, in New York. I've got my I've got my crew in South London. I'm comfortable. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm a big fish in where I am in my area, you know. Um, but it was only onto one guy that, again, came from the same background with me, a lower social and economic background. Um, his name was Vic. He came to me and said, look, Andrew, like, I'm telling you, you're never going to be able to get this opportunity again. Take the opportunity, go out there and just, like, you know, live your life. So from between 2007 to 2009, I was in New York and like just living the life. It was an ama- it was amazing. You know, had massive apartment overlooking the East River, swimming pool downstairs. Um, just, I mean, I remember, I remember some of my friends would um, would come to the airport and they would tell the taxi driver and say, "Oh, my friend lives," and they'll give the address. The taxi driver would be like, "No, no, 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 no way, no way." <laughs> Not someone that looks like you. There's like so that was a life. So 2009 comes. And my contract's up for renewal to stay in New York. And they say to me, look, Andrew, we'll give you another two or three years to stay in New York. And I'm like, first of all, I'm like, okay, what's the package? They're like, more money. Don't worry. We've got you, your apartment. Don't worry. You're going to have that. You don't have to pay none of nothing coming out of your paycheck. Fully paid for. Um, you're going to live. You're going to, you're going to like, don't worry. Your lifestyle is going to get even better. And then I'm like, call my girlfriend time i say look no two more years she's like look if you stay for two more years that's it me i can't do another like long distance you know for two more years and she's in london so um yeah i had to turn it down because of love because of love right I, I had to turn that down that offer down ridiculous like you know even if i start thinking about now i'll be like boy i, I start be f- reminiscing about how much i could have made um but uh, so yes, yeah, so I came back to the UK and they warned me and they said, look, Andrew, there's no seats in the UK. UK is going through a big recession right now. Like, you know, we don't have any space for you in the London office. But I'm like, look, I'm going to fight for myself. Don't worry. I, I come, I'm going to come back and I'll make it. And then within six months, six to nine months, they were like, we've got to let you go. And they were almost like, Andrew, we told you. We told you not to come back. He was going to give you another two years. Um, but... You know, uh, the good thing is, like, you know, to that story, my girlfriend, she became my wife, so... Good, I was about to say, like, in my head, I was like, <laughs> please tell me <laughs> that's your wife now. So, so, so that, that's more important than any, 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 like, you know, opportunity or money. But living in New York for two years mm. was the spark ignited in me that said, like, you, you can do something different right you can do something different you know in new york you're meeting so many creative people all the time entrepreneurs you know some of the places i was privileged to go to that just introduced me to a whole new world and that was the inspiration where i was like you know what even though it hasn't worked out at the moment in banking let me let me try my dream of going into um something else into business how long have you had that dream is it something you've had since you were a child and you kind of just kept hidden and you just kind of going through the typical linear path or was that a dream that literally came around when you were in new york for that that two-year period yes really good question do you know what that dream yeah has been around for undercover for like since i was growing up since i was growing up since my like probably early teens and the main reason why was because um, i grew up not many people even know this i grew up without a tv so my parents were super religious, so we didn't have no TVs were in my house. It was, you know, it was called the devil's box. That's what it was called, right? So there was no TVs. 
So I grew up with, I'm the type of guy that used to go to the library and just borrow books just to have something to do and read and just have some form of entertainment at home because there was no TV, right? You know, there was no entertainment. So, and you know, when you don't have something, so you, I didn't have a TV, I visualized one day being able to create like, you know, something for, for television. So it's that not having that always sparked that dream of, you know what, one day I'm going to be able to, you know, make something for TV or write my own book. And, you know, I'm lucky to have done both, but that was the dream, you know, reading, reading some of like, you know, like, like some amazing authors. I remember reading authors like, like there's an author called uh, Walter Mosley. Walter Mosley is a really famous uh, black American author. And I just love the way they're able to, through their, through his words, you be transported into another world. And I, one day I envisioned, I was like, you know what, if I could be like him and write and build these visual worlds and take people, transport people into my world, that, that would be a dream of mine. So yeah, so in answering your question, it was from when I was a kid, um, but I'm from, I'm from Southeast London. So money first, money first. I had to go after the money, like, you know, un, unapo unapologetically, because again, I'm grown up, Parents are not rich, they have no money, really. Um, you know, typical immigrant story, trying their best, pumping their kids with a lot of love, but a lot of like determination that, look, let's try to get out of this, like, you know, environment that you're in. So I went for whatever it would take. So like money first. Hmm. Well, then that money first, you went through it, you did it, hmm. and then you start again with the dream you're like right now now is the time for me to just go for this dream i've had in my heart since i was i was a young young child reading in the library and imagining mm -hmm. creating um stories and shows for for tv mm -hmm. but with no experience whatsoever in that world what was that feeling for you of Raw, am I am I really going am I really gonna do this? And what's this gonna look like? How am I gonna get the money? How are we gonna provide yeah. for for my family, for my girlfriend, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And and to be honest, it's like if I could be completely honest with you, is like money drove me into it. Money drove me into it as well. I thought uh naively that you know what, let me take six months out. I'm gonna work my cousin, she's a TV producer, we're gonna work on this idea together. We're going to go, like, polish it up, like, make a trailer and then flip it and sell it to the BBC. And then I'll be able to retire on an island somewhere, like, wash my hands, have, do no work. Um, but six months turned into, like, eight years, nine years. And that's the thing with entrepreneurship. Sometimes you go into it with that, I'm going to be rich quick, but then you don't, you don't, you don't, it doesn't materialise like that. It takes a lot longer. And... Um, there was two things. The good thing is, you know, I'd spent five, six years working, building up some some money. So I had at least I had a buffer, you know, so I had a buffer to pursue, pursue a dream. Um, and one and second thing was, and this is like, you know, it's tough for people who are married. I wasn't married at that time. So like that pressure commitment of, you know, what, how are we going to pay for the mortgage? How are we going to pay for the bills? How are we going to pay for all of that? wasn't on me yet. You know, when I got married, then my decisions started to be, be like, to, my decisions was a lot different. So, you know, sometimes people, like we waste our youthful times when we have these opportunities to take those risks. I was able to take that risk and say, you know what? I'm gonna do business. If it doesn't work out, 
um, I'll start again somehow. And when people do say to me, Andrew, you, you had no experience in, 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 in TV. And people do say that, they say, Andrew, you had no experience in TV. I say to them, look, whatever you started, you had no experience in it as well. You know, some people think they were just, they were born a lawyer or like, you know, they were like, they've always been at the top of investment banking. Everything takes time to learn and you can learn anything you put your mind to. So I do think that, you know, when people say you don't have experience in this, you don't have experience in that. Um, it's almost like, uh, just say, look, I haven't got the balls to take the risk. That's fine. But. To say you don't have experience is like saying you've always had experience at doing what you're proficient at at the moment. Jeez! Them bars there. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, I'm talking to myself. So a lot of the times I'm saying these things, but it's to myself to try and inspire myself because I've been there. I've been like, no, I can't. I can't do that. I can't do that. And then I have to motivate myself to say like, oh, Andrew, you can do it. Like you never... You didn't, you didn't know anything about trading, but you was able to do trading. You didn't know anything about um, like recruitment and stuff like you was able to learn. So that's something I'm constantly telling myself that, look, yeah, you can get, don't worry, you, like experience, you can easily get that. When it comes to um, TV world in the UK, especially, it's, we already know it's documented time and time again. There is a lack of diversity on the TV screens and Something that reading reading to your experience, you talked about you went to BBC, ITV, Sky, and they all they all turned you down. But interestingly enough, they took the phone call. They had an initial interview with you, but it was more of a tick in the box exercise rather than actual. We want to really do something about this. And there's something that struck me about that that there's a lot of even. I'm interested to hear your take on it. When you look at the landscape now. Do you still see a lot of performative action happening within within the UK, or is there some real change happening where channels are interested in launching diverse talent and production companies and and putting our kind of shows on TV who have been made by us for us? Do you know what? Yeah, it's an interesting one, and it took me a while to realize that depends on what lens you look at it in terms of diversity. Um, people are still looking at the old platforms and saying. Uh, this platform is not diverse. Say, for example, you say the BBC or or ITV or whatever. But I mean, are those the platforms you watch? So, I mean, if I speak to my like my my nieces and nephews, like they're eleven, twelve, thirteen, um, like they don't watch that stuff, right? So they don't watch. So it doesn't even really matter whether it's diverse or not. Um, they're not watching. They're not watching. And so they're on TikTok. They're on Instagram, and that's super diverse because like. The stuff that they want to watch, they're watching it. You know, if it's the dance videos, if it's the comedy skits, if it's wherever it is, they will find it. They're happy with what their content that they're getting. And it's 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 a difference in shift between the generations. The older generations will complain and um, be like, let me in, let me in, please, please, please let me in. The younger generation will just go and make their own stuff and build their own audience and people will come and watch it. So it's... Uh, the old, the old, the old systems are dying. Like the BBC, ITV, numbers are going down every single year. You know, they may throw big productions or do big productions, but are people actually watching it? So my message to everyone is like, look, I mean, don't waste your time. Like, you know, saying please, please let me into anywhere. Like I've the path I've been able to go on, and like you know, m- my productions would not have been made if I'd said please. 
please let me in. Like, you know, I would have given up. Like you said, I've gone, I would have gone to those meetings right at the beginning and accepted what I, what I was told that like, no, this is not going to work. And that's it. And that's what's happened to a lot of creatives in the UK. And what is the result? You become bitter. You become angry. You become, this system is against me. It's not going to work. The other path is, you know what? I'm going to make what I'm going to make anyway. And at least when I die, I can at least say, you know what? I made it. Did it go on the platforms that you wanted it to go on? Maybe, maybe not. But did you have an audience? Yes. Was it able to come out of your head and onto onto the screen? Yes. So I'm I'm probably the wrong person when it comes to that. Just because I almost like like put my ears, my hands in my ears from 2011, and I've just gone on and said, okay, instead of like you know, like you know, um, someone telling me no. I'm always focusing on how am I gonna how am I gonna make something to become a yes. That's that's why I think you are the right you are the right person because I think that's the right mentality that we need to adopt a lot more of. Where rather than listening to the no's, it's like okay, mm. it's a no for you, but the yeah. world is there's what seven point two billion people on the planet. There's a massive growing audience. Um, outside of the UK, so you go to Africa, the continent, like 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 you went to, for example, there's the States, there's so many other places where you can go to, but you just be willing, you need to be willing to be like, I'm not going to accept your answer as the final defeat. I'm going to keep on pushing, which is why it would be good to hear your, your story around how you actually went back to the continent to actually like sell, meet the Adivangels after you guys finally made it and how they actually helped to launch in and being streamed to millions and millions of people worldwide yeah so the, the key thing and and again this is where for anyone who says look i don't have the way experience um the, the easiest way is to like you know like what you're doing like you know immerse yourself listening to podcasts reading biographies of like the people you're, you're trying to emulate and that's what i did so i said okay um let me read about tv i don't understand this business let me read about tv and this is after people said because to anyone like to people listening who want to understand TV, there's typically in the in the UK is you have an idea and then you go to a broadcaster and then there's something called a commission. And a commission is where they will give you fund the production of like the first season and then they'll fully fund it so it gets made. Unfortunately, there's only a few commissions a year, like say it's drama, say it's comedy. There's a few commissions. So it's tough. It doesn't it doesn't even matter what color of skin you are it is tough just to get a commission because you're like thousands of people trying to get 20 commissions a year obviously like nepotism comes in maybe discrimination comes in on who gets those 20 commissions but it's tough that's what people need to understand in the first place it's tough and people spend three four years um, like crafting their drafts their submissions so that they can have the best chance to get a commission. When I went and read about TV, I understood that that was only one model. I was like, oh wow, the model that they've been telling us in the UK, that's the only one model. And I found out there's a model in the US, which is called syndication. So syndication is one company makes it and then each territory, they go around and sell that show to, and then the money that comes in to the pot should pay for the production and, and, then, and then some for all the investors and stuff, right? So you take the risk, and then you produce it and then you syndicate it to the different territories. Uh, so that's what I decided to do. So um, went to investors uh, and said, look, you know, give me, I think back then we raised about over a hundred thousand pounds. You know, it was like Dragon's Den going around. But instead of like 
like in the, in the, in a Dragon's Dentist Forum. It was like you know coffee shops, meeting up with investors, and um, you know I was I was lucky that people just looked at me, looked at my energy, looked at my drive. Um, they looked past my lack of knowledge, but they were like, "Look, this guy. I don't know what he's smoking, but he's he's willing to leave, um, you know, investment banking and go and do this." Like we we believe him we'll back him and what another thing people don't realize is that when i came back from the new york is i focus a lot on building networks so in new york they like when i was there there was a concept that was not in the uk so there was like they called it like after work club parties for working professionals so um, from five till like 11 um, working like these groups will hire these clubs and you'll finish work and then you'll go straight to a club and party with other working professionals. Um, but you're building networks, you're building, you know, like you're socializing different people in different different fields in finance and law. But they, were, they wasn't doing that in the UK. So when I came back, I put, I, 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 it was called City Rainmakers and I used to throw these parties with working professionals. Didn't charge no money. I was building my network. People were asking me like, Angie, what, you're not going to charge anything on the door? Like, you know, I'm like, no, I'm just going to get people to come in, party. And the funny thing is loads of people from that network was the people who invested in in what I did. That goes to show you, like sometimes what you may be doing may not be making money right now, but like, you know, you're building a network. And yeah, and I took that. And then I took that concept and First season, we didn't make much money at all. We just literally went to TV stations across Africa and across the world and we're like, look, just give us what you can give us. Like, we know we're a new com company. We know it's a new content. Just give us what you give us. If your audience like it and they request for a new season, we know who to come back to and we will sell it to you at a higher price, the new season. So we did that model. It's allowed the show to become like, you know, what we're talking about, I did a deal with like, SABC, which is like the national broadcaster of South Africa. It deals with national broadcasters in, in Nigeria, in Ghana, Kenya, Zimbabwe, all across Africa and prime time. So the show became super popular and that allowed season two, season three for the, those TV networks to come back to me and say, look, our audience love this show. We're willing to give you what you want to make a new season. So that's long around winded way of how I was able to do my research, learn about a different business model, go out there, make it work. It didn't work within the first year, uh, first season, but that buzz and, and that, that energy of like the show was allowed, was what allowed it to, to become what it is today. I think that also speaks a lot to what we talked, touched on earlier of you as your personality, your authenticity, people were buying into you. People were buying into your energy. People were buying into they didn't they didn't care about the experience. It was more like okay, he's serious. Like he's quit his job. He's not going back into that field. He's on it. He wants to do something about this. And because of what you had also done with what you had done with the clubs and bringing people together, there's probably relationships that have been formed where they've been able to make business deals and all that kind of stuff. But it was all done in the back of you bringing them together for free. So they're like, actually, what can we do to help and support this person? who one is a great person because he's brought together with other people, but two, he's, he's really, really serious about this. And that speaks again to the power of just being able to believe in yourself and not take no, cause that's, that's resilience right there. That's if you could want to put a name on it, that's resilience. Like, right. Get rejected from the networks. All right, cool. 
when are gonna stay when are gonna stay here? I need to raise hundred k. I don't have the experience, but I'm still gonna go out there and pitch, go into coffee shops, do all I need to do to bring this alive. I'm gonna go go back to the continent and put this out there and see and see what happens. That is being resilient, being adaptable, but more importantly, sticking to your to your dream and not letting anyone kill that for you. And it's not, it sounds like, I mean, and I'm making it sound like, you know, it was a straight linear path up. Trust me, as anyone, you probably know, anyone listening knows, uh, anyone who's like been done any entrepreneurship venture, there's times I'm looking at myself and I'm like, like, Andrew, seriously, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? You know, I've got my mum and dad, they're looking at me like, dude, you went from, you went from <laughs> earning X and now like, like you haven't earned, I remember this, I, I went through the first three years, I didn't take a paycheck from the company, first three or four years. Like I moved back, I'm from moving, from living in a penthouse to New York, I'm back in my mum and dad's house in a tiny room. Like this room was smaller than probably like my kitchen in in my flat in New York. Having to wake up and be like, oh my God, you know, I can literally sit on my bed, I can sit. And I, there was no need for, there was no need for a chair for the desk because I can sit on my bed and I'm, and I'm at my desk. You know, that's how close, that's how tiny the room was. And I'm like, boy, what what have I done? You could just imagine waking up to that environment and just thinking, this is, this is not like, yeah, what mistake have I made? But then anytime I wanted to give up, I would get an email or I'll get a text or I'll get a call and someone will be like, you know what, Andrew, um, we just found your show. We're watching it. I'm watching it with my daughter, watching it with my son. And this is the first show I've been able to, you know, explain or have jokes or like an immigrant background, an African immigrant background, you know, keep going, keep doing this. Um, like, yeah. And that will be me. That will make me go, okay. Let me give it another three, four months. And then within that three, four months, something else would happen that would drive drive the show forward. And did you also have any... You talked about your, your girlfriend at that point in time. How mm. was that navigating that relationship while building your dream? Um, difficult, 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 difficult. Um, you know, she's always been my biggest supporter. So, like, always had my back. Um, like... Actually, I'll take it back. Not so difficult in terms of that because we've grown up together almost. She's she's always seen that, look, if Andrew puts his mind to something, he's going to work hard to make it happen. So it was the times I was down, she will pick me up and say, look, you can do it. You can, you can, like, yeah, Andrew, you know, to boost you up, right? Um, but obviously, you know, like, you know, after a few years of me coming back to the UK, we got married and stuff. And then there's a big expectation. you got to provide, um, like you know like children like you know provide for the household that type of stuff right um uh, so it does the pressure does build and i think for anyone um trying to pursue your dream what i learned is anyone that's trying to pursue your dream is also don't negate your partner's dream as well because if it's all about you 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 it's something's gonna there's gonna be a cost there's gonna be a cost many times the cost is gonna be your relationship right i you know i've I've had to do take some times and even what i'm doing right now so right now with the recruitment uh is me literally saying you know what let me take take my hand off like the entrepreneurship me 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 for a couple years just to reset and like touch base with my family and like yeah make sure that they still remember who i am and then maybe go back into it, but go back in a more balanced way because there is a cost. I think people don't realize it. And I think it's not talked about enough. 
Yeah. That um, there is no true balance. There's no true balance. If you want to pursue your dream, you typically have to be wholeheartedly selfish about that pursuit. And it's going to, it's going to cost you something. It just, it, it just, we just don't know what that cost is. It could be your health. It could be your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your partner. Um, it could be like, it's going to cost. Nothing comes for free. There was always a price. And I think at a time for me, the cost was, you know, my relationship with my family and stuff like that, which I had to address. Um, but the good thing is, again, and this is it's tough for anyone who's already married and wants to pursue their dream. Um, but if you're not married yet and you have the opportunity to go after something that's quite selfish, like do it now <laughs> rather than wait because, yeah, it's going to get, it's, it gets more difficult to navigate. I, I can so resonate with that because my story was the other way around. I got married early. <laughs> and then I started to got married early, had a family early, and then I started to pursue certain things and certain dreams. And But it was exactly what you just talked about right now. It's about understanding there's always going to be a sacrifice. Something has to give. There is no perfect balance. It's just hard to do. And it's also re- recognizing the fact that certain things come in seasons. So this might be... Like you said, this was there was a season for you to be an entrepreneur. Now it's a season for you to really go harder in the recruitment space, which could then mean that actually might give your partner, for example, a season for her to do something different. But it's about Absolutely. taking turns within your family to be like, this is not just all about me. This is about us and making sure yeah. that we are we're ebbing and flowing together to make sure we have the best balance as a husband and wife, but also as as parents which is a good model to give to your kids that actually mom and daddy are working together. They're both striving and achieving their dreams together rather than just one person doing one thing and it's divorced in the way that the yeah. approach is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and it takes us a while. Like, you know, sometimes you've got to learn from your mistakes. Sometimes you've got to learn from your mistakes and I've made, I've, I've made a lot. Um, uh, but I'm happy to share. I'm happy to share because uh, I've realised throughout my life, you know, if you don't share your struggles, you know, you don't connect, you know, like I can say, you know, it's been amazing. I've done this, you know, I've become, you know, I've become a millionaire or whatever, you know, which is not the case. It's not true. Um, you know, uh, it has like, yeah, it has been an up and down path, but I have no, I have no regrets. You know, I have no regrets because I've been able to live uh, like a life I would eight-year-old Andrew would not have imagined you know I mean I remember and again this is another story like completely random so I'm doing uh and this relates on how I got the deal to Netflix to be honest so um I'm chilling it's going through a period of time where like you know I've done season one I've done season two done season three done loads of deals uh money's trickling in but you know now I've got a kid you know money's not coming in as fast as I as I would like you know so um doing loads of media consulting which is great because you know my name in the media industry has got up um but you know still still scrapping for money still really tight and all of a sudden i get a call out of the blue and then it's a friend who works at a private equity company and he says andrew um you know what we're looking at africa now i'm like great i've been telling you about this he's like look we want to buy a tv production company and i'm like dude you come to the right person like you know i'm just tell me the price. I'm ready to negotiate. I can sell my company. I need the money type thing. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, whenever you want to talk about it, let's talk. He's like, no, 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 Andrew, I'm not talking about your production company. I'm talking about a production company, one that's based in East Africa. And I'm like, 
oh my god like i thought this was god answering my prayers and literally i was able to sell my company and exit um but again like i've been sharing with you my motto is around you know you got you got almost you got to give some to get some just if you're a giver stuff is going to come back to round to you so i say to him okay uh what do you need from me he's like look i want you to come on board our private equity team as a as a um a, a creative consultant to help us with finding companies that we can acquire i was like you know what no problem i'm happy to do that uh then he says you know we can like just tell me how much like you know you want to you want to get paid for it um and i'm like okay i mentioned i mentioned a number he says yes too quick that made me realize that man i underpriced myself but it was cool and then, so I just went back to my journeys around Africa, you know, selling meat and evangelists. And I remember an interaction I had with a woman's company, one of the best produ biggest production companies in, in Kenya. Um, and I remember her, and I was so impressed when I went to visit her facilities in Nairobi. So I mentioned this to the private equity company and they decided to start negotiations to buy her production company. Um, we, I had conversations with her. She was still like, oh my God, I don't know how you, like, what made you recommend me? I'm like, look, I was just really impressed. Like, there's no skin in the game for me. Like, you know, I mean, I don't want, I don't, I'm not going to get a finders for you or anything. I'm just, I think you're doing great work. I'm happy for you to be connected with these guys. And we're talking about millions of dollars, right? Um, the deal falls through, but two years later, I'm on LinkedIn and then I see a LinkedIn notification and that same woman has now joined Netflix in a senior role. And I'm like, wow, like look how the world is. Like someone I knew then now is in charge of a, of a, of a big department at Netflix. I was hesitant. I thought, you know what, should I reach out? So I reach out, you know, I've been trying to deal with Netflix for many years. Like nothing, nothing has happened. I reach out to her. I say, look, I don't know what you can do, but if there's anyone you can connect me with, like you know i'll be much appreciated she's like andrew look you agreed to help me when like there was no need at all i didn't even know you so of course i'm going to try and help you and then within six months of me having that conversation with her netflix had licensed meet and the banjos for the platform so it just goes to show you that in this game of life we don't know we don't know what's going to happen you know if you just keep showing up if you keep giving um keep helping people um, and keep being positive no matter what you like you know sky's the limit man i love i love that story man it's amazing how things go around full circle when it's just i'm just hooking someone up i'm just passing it along without me wanting anything for it that is that is wow i love that story and i'm curious to hear how do you define leadership because you've worked in so many different sectors had so many different leaders as well as you've led different people so how do you define leadership you know, all the best leaders I've, I've had have um invested in invested in invested in people you know ultimately you want to make your staff better than you like if you come with that mindset um like anyone that's joining my team i'm always like you know what's your dream what's your end goal and how can i help you get it so they say to me andrew my end goal is to get your job I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm going to help you. Maybe not to get my job, but to, to get enough experience so you can get someone else's job at another firm, right? Um, but that's what I'm looking to do. And that's what I did define as good leadership, helping their staff to achieve their dreams. Even if the dream is not in 
I wouldn't say not in the best interest of the company, but you know you're going to lose that staff member to a bigger company. But, you, but through you helping with their dreams, they will help you to achieve your goals in your firm. So yeah, helping people with their dreams is is what I define as, as the best type of leaders. And as you look forward to to the future, what does that success look like to you? Do you know what? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I have no clue. Um, I've like, as you can see through my trajectory of life is I have almost like a, I would say a five to six years um, um, itchy feet. So, you know, I want to do something five to six years and go and do something else for five, six years and then go and do another thing. And so I bounced around like I've done, you know, uh, trading, done TV, um, uh, like done doing recruitment. So I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that I want it whatever I do to impact as many people as possible. Um, which is why recently I just said to myself, you know, what do I want to do in 2001? I want to speak to as many students uh, as possible. So I just said, you know what? I just one day I was like, okay, let me just send put a post on LinkedIn around, you know, I'm happy to speak um, at like virtual assemblies, like, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. And yeah, the interest that people have just sending me a message. Yeah, you know, please come and speak. And it's, it's just about that whole impact. Whatever I do, I don't want it to be uh, focused on just a small number of people. I want people to say, okay, you know, Andrew, like he, he came, lived his life, he impacted as many people as possible. Um, and that's, that, that's always been my, 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 my key driver in life. Man, you know what? That's, that's probably the perfect, perfect place to actually end this. When you talk about impact, and I said it right at the start, a number of people have already told me that what you and your production company have done and what you've done with me, Dead Avengers, has been trailblazing for lots of people to be able to create a new model of like syndications and going out there to actually stop accepting the no's and find other ways and other avenues of getting their shows out there through other licensing deals and things like that. So you're definitely influencing so many different people through your story, which you're sharing today, and the work you're doing through Rare Recruitment. So it's something that I'm going to keep on pushing, keep on promoting, because the more we can impact people, the more we can let them have a completely different mindset mentality, regardless of where they come from, the more we can start to see that change that we want to see in the world. No, absolutely. And once again, I just want to say, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, and everyone listening, everyone watching, you know, don't give up. Just, you know, just focus on no. Don't focus on your no's. That's the key thing. Don't focus on the no's. Uh, focus on how you can earn your yes. This is Everyday Leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time on Everyday Leadership.